Good to be with you again this morning. It's always a delight to uh, be with Holy Cross. Uh, such a great congregation and uh, just a privilege to be here and serve you all. So this morning we're going to be back in the book of Philippians and we're going to be looking at chapter 3 verses 13 through 16. And I've entitled it, One Thing I Do, which is actually words from the sermon uh, passage. And uh, so it's what Paul is saying, one thing I do. Well, one of my favorite movies of all time is City Slickers. Some of you may have seen that. But anyway, Billy Crystal, who's the actor, plays Mitch Robbins. And he's a New York City advertising executive and he's struggling with a midlife crisis. For his 39th birthday, his two closest friends give him the gift of joining them on a two-week cattle drive from New Mexico to Colorado. And when they arrive at the New Mexico ranch and before they've even started the cattle drive, he meets a tough old trail boss named Curly. And he told Mitch that he needed to discover one thing. And he always put his finger up when he would tell Mitch this, you need one thing, and that's all. You just need one thing, and uh, once you've discovered this one important truth in your life, then your whole midlife crisis will be resolved. It won't be there anymore. And so, during the time of the cattle drive up to Colorado, indeed, Mitch finds out what is the one true thing, the thing that operates everything else in his life. What's more important? than anything else, a single most important thing. And so at the end of the movie, his midlife crisis is solved. Well, with Paul this morning, he's also talking about the one thing, the one thing that's most important for him. And so he has discovered the one thing, and that's what he wants to convey to us, that there's one thing that he does, and so it's more important than anything else he did. And so that's something that he wants us to discover as well. It's the one thing that gives our lives meaning, same way it gave his life meaning. And so we can attain this one thing, he tells us. We all can do that. Every Christian can do this. And so he says we should do. And so this is interesting as we think about grace, as we think about the presence and the power of grace. We all love grace, the covenant of grace. Once we've received the grace, then there's something we are supposed to do. As, so in other words, our faith, you can recognize our faith by what we're doing because of the, the uh, motive and the desire to please Christ and to advance the kingdom on his behalf while he waits to come back and to, uh, and to raise us from the dead and to glorify us. And so what we do is important. And the only reason we're doing is because we've received grace first. These amazing gifts that we've been looking at that Paul's talking about all the way through Philippians and why he's in joy and joyous and rejoicing all the time while he's in a Roman jail where he could get a death sentence at any time. How do you do that? And so he's saying, this is the key here. Here's the secret. I want you to know this and I want you to have it too. So... This begs the question, and so as we begin going into the rest of the sermon, I want you to be thinking about this. This past week, what was it when you got up out of bed 
last Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, even yesterday, Saturday. What was the one thing that you were living for? What were you doing? What was it that encompassed the most important thing in your life? What were you living for? Who are you living for? And so as we go through the sermon, I want you thinking about whether it's the same thing that Paul says is the one thing. And maybe we need to be encouraged and see that the grace of God will help us get to where Paul is because none of us are perfect. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd open all of our hearts, mine included, to your word this morning. May your spirit impress upon our hearts this word in places where we need to be convicted, uh, places where we need to rejoice. And we thank you for that. But may we all, as was said earlier, leave this place changed this morning. Lord, we thank you that even when we come to the place of seeing what our hearts are truly like, that we have a place to go with that. We can go to you and your throne of grace and we can repent and we can confess our sins. And we know that when we do that, that you are faithful and that you change the desires of our hearts. You increase us in our ability to live our lives in a Christ-like way. And we thank you that you are continuing to do that day by day. And so we look to you, O oh Lord, the author and the, confu- and the, and the, confu- the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's look at the first point that we've got in our sermon outline. It's Paul's honest self-examination of his heart. And see, that's a place where we often don't want to go, isn't it? I mean, we've got enough problems in our life already. Why do we want to go looking for any more problems? But you see, this is the, the gateway into growth, into maturity that we're willing, because we know there's a solution we know that there's a change that's coming, then we do that, that we're going to be blessed and growing in Christ's likeness when we do that. So in verse 13, Paul said he concluded that he was not righteous and holy like Jesus was righteous and holy. Wow. He knows that there is still much work of the Holy Spirit that was left to be done in him. He needs to continue to grow and mature. And he could see that his sin nature still gripped and controlled his heart in many ways. He said, I do not consider that I have made Christ righteous my own. Wow. Well, I thought he'd received the gift of Christ's righteousness. So what's he talking about? 
So I want you to see Christ's righteousness gift as like a robe. Okay, when I am born again, then I receive the robe of Christ and his righteousness and I put it on. And so I've got it on around me. And so when I come before God, what he sees is the robe of Christ and his righteousness. But underneath that robe, and you know this as well as I do, that I'm still struggling as a sinner every single day. And so I need to grow and, and, and mature and to change and become more and more like Christ. You know, sometimes we get a little confused. We say, well, I've received the righteousness of Christ, so I'm okay. I don't need to look at my sin. I don't need to confess. I don't need to repent. Well, just the opposite is true. Of course you do. This is what the Bible does when it convicts us of sin. When we're reading it, we say we don't do it. But there's also the grace to say, yeah, I'm pointing that out to you so that you'll grow and that you'll mature and you'll become more and more like Christ. And so, wow, this is amazing what's, what's going on. And, and this is a startling statement by Paul, right, who's far more mature and far more godly than any of us sitting here this morning because he's experienced many visions and revelations of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12 says this, that he had been raised up to heaven. Anybody here been raised up to heaven? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Raise your hand if you have. <laughs> I'd like to see. I'd like to talk to you. <laughs> been raised up to heaven and heard things that cannot be told. They were so amazing. What's going on in heaven is far beyond our human understanding and our ability to understand. It's glorious and wonderful beyond our imaginations. We can't even see it. He can't explain it to us. So many of the things we hear about seraphim and cherubim and all these different creatures that are, that are there in the presence of the Lord and, and operating in a place where we can't see it. They give representations that maybe we can conceive a little bit of what they're like, but the glory far exceeds anything we can imagine. And he says, the more he beheld the glory and the holiness of Christ, the more he saw his own sinfulness. In fact, he saw himself as the chief of sinners. So what that's saying is that the more you're growing, the more mature you are, the more time you're spending in the Word, the more time you're spending in prayer, the more your relationship with Christ is increasing. It becomes very much like Revelation 1, where we've talked about this before, where John is in the presence of, of Jesus on the, when he's on the Isle of Patmos. And what's his reaction to the holy Jesus, the glorified Jesus? He falls flat on his face. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more your sin becomes exposed. The more the light brings out the darkness that's within us. And it's a beautiful thing because we're going to be delivered from that darkness. I won't be hurting people as much when I grow a little bit more loving towards my wife and my kids and towards this church. How do I become more kind than I have? How do I lessen the amount of hurt and pain, sometimes a brutal teasing that I might be doing? How do I see myself more as the instrument of Christ and the love of Christ flowing through me into your lives? It's these types of things that are going on. And so this is this, what Paul is, is seeing. He's, he's pretty close to Christ. That's why he can say, I'm the chief of sinners because he's the closest one to Christ <laughs> and these things that he's seen. 
the way he's living his life. And so don't feel bad, dear ones. When you're convicted of sin, that means you're close to Christ. You're getting closer. Not that he isn't always here, not that he isn't always in you, he is. But you're, you're growing in your understanding of holiness. And you're also seeing the things that are holding you back. The things that, where you're not loving the way Jesus loves. You're more quick to forgive. And the more quick you are to extend grace to other people and understanding, why are you saying those things to me? I am so sorry that I said that horrible thing to you. I was just acting out of the emotion of the moment. You long to go and make things right. Jesus always is here loving us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. That's the kind of love, even when we're messing up, even before we were saved. Nothing can take away the love of Christ. So, Paul also knew that all the visions and the revelations that he'd seen and heard did not make him holy and righteous. He saw them. So what was the effect on his heart? It was to hunger, to hunger for righteousness, to hunger to be more like Christ and to be holy like Christ is holy. So what did Paul do? What did he do? And that leads us to our second point. Paul himself models doing one thing. He doesn't just leave it to our imaginations, he models it. And we see this you know, fairly frequently in the, in the letters that he wrote. He likens himself to a runner who's running a marathon. And he dresses how he thinks in three different ways. The past, the present, and the future. And all he wants is to mature as a Christian, to think like he thinks, to be mature like he's mature, but ultimately be like Christ. And then he wants us to hold true those things that we've already attained, that you believe them, that they're true. Now I want you to envision a baseball diamond with me for a second. A baseball diamond, of course, has a home plate, first base, second base, third base, and then coming around and a home plate again. Think of your life journey as starting on the first baseline. So that's when you're young. You know, you get to midlife when you go from first to second, second to third, you're maturing, you're older, and then finally, you're coming home, right? So we're progressing. I'm going from third base to home plate right now. <laughs> in my life. So, so it's a progression. And there's going to be a finish place for us. So your life is a marathon. My life is a marathon race as you progress around the bases until you reach home. So what does Paul say about how we should think about the past? He said, forget what lay behind. Forget what lay behind. What did he mean by that? Well, some of you have probably run races. I know there's some that have run marathons in this church. Jason Bailey, for one, he told me. Multiple marathons. So he's familiar with running these long races. And so 
When you run to finish the race, you don't stop three quarters of the way through the race and look back and say, wow, I really did a good job of running that three, first three quarters of that race. I'm just going to kind of be thankful for that and I'm looking back. No. When you come down the final stretch, you're thinking about the finish line. I want to finish this race. I'm not going to stop in the middle of the race. The whole point is I'm to run the race and finish the race, right? And so you, fi- you focus on finishing the race and that's how Paul dealt with sins. So in his life, as he became aware of his sins, then he says, I want to finish the race. I want to see my sins completely gone. I don't want to have to struggle with my sin nature anymore. And so I'm not going to just say, wow, look at this. Look how I've done and feel good about that. So, for instance, if you've had an anger problem, maybe 10 years ago, and you've seen growth and wonderful things happening, you don't really struggle with that anger problem quite as much as you used to. Well, he's saying, forget what lay behind. Okay, that was good and that was great and that was that season of your life and you got through that and you grew in Christ-likeness. But don't continue to look at that. Look forward. Look and see. What is the next step that God's trying to deal with in your heart and in your life? In this life, you're going to continue to sin. And there's more where God wants you to grow in Christ-likeness and holiness. Don't stand there and just keep thinking about how great a job you did and how mature you are and the fact that you no longer have this big anger problem anymore. Don't become content and complacent continues to run the race. And so when you're running the race, you're growing day by day, event by event, relationship by relationship, and your heart is becoming more and more Christ-like. And so we're to keep guarding our heart as we go forward because the work is still there. The problems are still there. So we're to focus on what sins are left to conquer Sometimes we get surprised. We have blind spots. But then there's also the ones we know we struggle with. So we're to continue to look at Christ and keep growing and maturing and keep our eyes on the finish line and finish the race. So these are the things, one of the things we're supposed to do, right? So this is what we do. So what does Paul say about the present? So when he was advancing around the bases, Paul said, He was straining forward to what lies ahead, just like we should. The one thing that Paul desired was to be holy and righteous. I want to continue to grow in that. I want to continue to mature in that. And I want to be like Jesus, the way he was righteous and the way he is holy. And I want to be like him. So that's the one thing, Christ-likeness and holiness is what Paul yearned for, what he wanted. And so every day when he'd get up, he'd be alert to these things. What is God speaking to me today? How am I living in my relationship with him and others? Am I loving God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? Am I living, loving my neighbor as myself? Those are the two great commandments, right? How am I doing? And so where Paul would see he wasn't doing that, then he would just go to the Lord. 
need to ask for help and grace that God would change his, his desires, the desires of his heart that were holding him back, the selfish desires. And so it's the Holy Spirit's work then to create Christ-likeness in us. We can't do that ourselves. The only thing we can do is enter through the gateway of change and sanctification by confessing our sins. That's our job. Everyone in here has that job. That's what we are to do. And so when we go through that gateway of repenting and confessing our sins, then it's the Holy Spirit that goes to work and changes those desires in our heart to grow in Christlikeness. And also he diminishes the power then of the sin nature in that area more. And he increases the desires to be holy and loving and caring at the same time. It's beautiful, it's wonderful. But sometimes what holds us back is the fact I don't want any more pain. I don't want to see how bad I am. And so we don't go there. We go into blame shifting, somebody else's fault. There's a whole host of other things, the ways we can operate and talk and act that are not actual repenting. I'm sorry I did that. Did you talk to God about that? Did you ask God to change your heart? He's the only one that can. Being sorry is not good enough because you're going to repeat it again unless God changes your heart. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit, and what we are to do is do the repenting. So this side of heaven, the Spirit's work will never end. It's not a surprise that I'm continuing to sin. It's not a surprise I'm trying to demand my own way. Who cares what you want? I want my way. But the Spirit's at work, and we can have victory, the victory of grace through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as he beheld the glory of the Lord every day, not once in a while, every day, he would be transformed into the likeness of Christ. There it is, Christ-likeness, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the grace we're getting is the gift of the Holy Spirit and the power of change that comes through him. So this is what Paul's teaching, that spiritual growth and maturity and increasing in Christ's likeness should be a healthy desire of every Christian. Is that what you long for? Is that something that resonates in your heart every morning? How do I live for Christ today? Is that the overriding thing that's going on in my heart? What's competing with that? What are some of the other things? They're important things and good things, but what's the one thing, the most important thing, through which all these other wishes and desires will flow? So this is why it's, it's interesting. It's like going back to last week. What was it that drew, drove you? What were the things that you were trying to achieve? And you're thinking, you're not thinking exactly all the way through this. You're thinking, if I get that, I'll be happy. It's not true. But that's what we think, all of us, me included. And so that's why I'm striving so hard to get this other thing. So Paul's saying, okay, that's important and some of these things are good. 
But there's something more important. There's one thing that's most important. So he's going after that every day. It's the passion of his soul. It's the thing he lives for, to know Christ and be known and walk with him through each day. It's the one thing he's desired above all things. And so this is what he's teaching us this morning. Every one of us, everyone who knows Christ, that we're to be holy. We're to go after Christ's likeness like Paul was going after Christ's likeness. And Paul knew that when Jesus returns and when he arrives home in heaven, that he would finally be holy as Jesus is holy. That's his faith, that's his longing. So he will accomplish this desire through the grace of God. What a joyous thing that is. We'll experience the same thing. At that point, our sin nature will be gone. You won't be struggling with sin nature. You won't be struggling with other people around you who are sinning against you. It's amazing. It's hard to get our minds around that. So Paul was calling all Christians then to be like him and to fight against indwelling sin. Fight against it every day. So when you see your sin, what are you supposed to do with it? Repent. Repent, confess it to the Lord. And then you'll make progress. So he wants us to be ever vigilant then for the things that hold us back, the way we hurt other people and the way we're hurt by other people, how we react to those who sin against us, as well as those who are plotting evil against us. Trouble is, our sin nature continues to want to destroy us. Do you believe that? Do you believe the sin nature that lives within you right now hates you, wants to destroy you, gives you temptations to do things that are wrong, they're evil? That's what's going on inside of me. That's part of it, that sin nature is doing that in me and it's doing it in you too. But I thought I was a good person. No, no you're not. Not one of us is good, only one is good, right? We, know a lot. we all know that. And so we're struggling. This, this ongoing daily struggle that's happening within us is ongoing. It wants us to get self-satisfied and doesn't even want to let you know that it's there. So meantime, you're concentrating on the other things you can get out of this world and you're not living for Christ. And it's not like you're even aware of it. You're just saying, you know, there's some good stuff over here I want. I'm working for that. And it's gonna be good for my family or my friends or whatever. And so you're blind to the fact that, you know, you're not reading the word, you're not praying, but you're a good person. Well, that's right where the enemy wants you. That's where your sin nature is. It's hidden. You got something far more glorious to live for. And so we are to glorify God with every, every thought, word, and deed that we have. And we're to be honest with our own hearts, just like Paul is honest. And so every morning for when your eyes are open for the first time to that evening when you close 
them again when you lie down and go to sleep. You're to live for the glory of God and to enjoy Him each day. And so may our prayers be filled with words of holy desire that we be wholly sanctified in spirit, soul, and body. May we cry out to God like King David, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Help me to see what's going on inside me. May we long for the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be produced in us. And regarding the future, Paul says, press on, press on. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah, these are exciting words he's talking about. This is, this is what brings joy to his soul. So as we round third base and see home straight ahead, we're to press on. Don't ease up. Diane and I talk at home about we're older people now. <laughs> we want to finish strong. We want to live for the Lord all the way to the end. And sometimes it's easy to let, well, I'm kind of, at the time, I'm just going to go out and travel and have a good time and, you know, take it easy. That's not what Paul's saying. His death could be imminent. He didn't know when he was going to actually uh, get out of the jail. And so he's saying, no, press on. I'm doing the Lord's work right here where he's placed me. I'm not going to ease up. I'm looking forward to seeing the end, what it's going to be. So Paul says we're to fully exert ourselves to strongly finish the race and gain the prize. The prize, wow, just think about that prize. He single-mindedly eyed the finish line, letting nothing else distract him, single-eyed. Because, you know, when we're sinning, it's like the highway to heaven. We're walking on the highway to heaven. We start sinning. We take the off ramps and we hurt ourselves and we hurt the people around us. We get detoured away from what's really best for us. God doesn't want us taking those off ramps. He said, why do that and hurt yourself? And so as Paul is talking about this, that's what he's saying. You know, this is the fear of God, if you want to think of it that way. It's not that we're be afraid of God. It's that we're going to take an off-ramp and hurt ourselves. And so if I don't do things the way God says them, then I'm probably going to hurt myself. In fact, it's guaranteed because my sin nature is in, in charge. And that's the fear of the Lord. So Paul has a passion for God's grace and an intense longing for his holiness. He wanted to love God the way Jesus loved God, and he knew he didn't. And so may we all desire to continue to mature and grow in Christ's likeness until the Lord takes us home. May we labor for Christ until we reach home and finish the race and gain that great prize as well. But Paul would not be satisfied by anything less than the goal and the prize, the holiness and its fullness, his glorification and the presence of Jesus. This rich, wonderful relationship that he had with the Lord. He's longing 
for when the holy city of Jerusalem was going to be coming down onto the earth, transformed earth, and he would spend eternity with Jesus in pure love. And that's why he pursued holiness with such ardor and determination. He said that God had called him to holiness in Christ. Wow. And as he looked heavenward, he constantly beheld Jesus waiting for him, longing to come back and be with him. And so Paul felt the call to press on, to press on by putting on God's spiritual armor every day. This is what he talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. He said, I'm going to put on God's armor so that I can be strong and I can stand against the devil's schemes so he could wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So now Paul's bringing in the outward sins and dangers. So first we just looked at the inward and the sin nature, now it's the outward. So these, both these things are operating every day in our lives. He says, I don't want to wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm wrestling against these cosmic forces. So he fastened on the belt of truth and the breast of, breastplate of righteousness every day. He put on the shoes of peace. He took up the shield of faith with which he extinguished all the flaming darts of the devil. And he placed on the helmet of salvation. And he grabbed the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times that God's kingdom come, God's will be done in him and through him that day. And dear ones, if you have not been praying on the armor of God, I want to encourage you to do so. Maybe this week you can pull out Ephesians 6, read verses 10 through 18, and just try it for this week. Give it a test. It's okay. Try it out. You see, when you start praying the Lord's Prayer and putting on the armor of God, it's going to shake you up. <laughs> God's will be done, not mine. God's kingdom come, not mine. And therein is where much of the problem lies. I want my kingdom to come, but I would never tell you that right, except in a sermon. <laughs> so it means death to self. It means death to your sin nature. But it also means joy. So Paul saw the prize of his heavenly crown, the crown of eternal life that never fades away, hanging bright before his eyes as he's coming down the final stretch, as he sees home plate, he was determined that he would not yield to any evil temptation, no tempting golden fruit like Adam did. Paul pressed on, not ever content with what lay behind, but straining forward to his high calling in Christ Jesus. Heaven was his. He was homeward bound. So that doesn't mean that everything was going perfect for him. As we know, he's in jail. 
But wherever he is, it doesn't matter because he's got his sights set on the Lord and living for the Lord there and accomplishing purposes there. Doesn't matter if his desire was to get out of jail or stay in jail. What matters is what God's will was in advancing the kingdom and becoming more like Christ. He even invites saying, hey, I'm willing to die on a cross like Jesus if that's what you've got for me because there's something good and wonderful that's happening that's going to contribute to the final prize. The prize, the one thing he desired that awaited him was worth it. And he looked forward to that day when he would hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home, my son. You have gained the prize. The prize is yours for eternity. And the glorious thing is that by grace and faith, Paul knew that he had already attained it. Amen? Amen? He had already attained it. But he's having to grow until he gets to the finality of that when Christ gets back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercies this morning. We thank you that you see all of our sins far more than what we sin. And you present different situations in our lives where we need to grow and how we love one another and love you and that you're at work. And Lord, help us to be quick to repent when it's necessary. Help us to look forward to living for that one thing where we receive that prize. Thank you, Lord, for this plan you have for us and the grace and the mercies to get us there. Thank you for how much you love us this morning and delight in us. Help us to mature. Help us to attain, just live in that attainment of the things you've already given us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.